The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode five of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, and I'm coming to you from the Drum Factory Direct Warehouse here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week, I'm finally going to drill holes for the throw-off on that junky gig percussion snare drum. Uh, more about that later. But this week's guest is uh, the great Antonio Sanchez, in my opinion, uh, epitomizes what it means to be a modern drummer. Incredible technique, incredible creativity, incredible musicality when he plays with other musicians very empathetic when he takes a solo it's riveting and original and you're going to be you know tell the story you've never heard before so before i uh he i picked his brain about gear and in particular his first snare drum i wanted to get a little bit more of concept on how he creates solo music if you've seen the movie birdman that's antonio improvising drum solos throughout the movie he has his own band called Migration, great records. He has a couple solo records out. Um, one in particular, Bad Ombre, is one of my favorites. Um, incredible solo drum performance with synthesizers, mostly improvised drum set. He's got a second one coming out. We talk about that. Um, and then we get into some gear talk, which I don't know that I've ever heard Antonio talk about gear. So this was a super fun, um, it was a quick interview, but there's a lot of great information here. So let's get to it. Antonio Sanchez. Okay, Antonio Sanchez, thank you for joining the show. Uh, you are, um, I'm honored to call you a friend, but also one of my biggest influences, a huge inspiration, not only as a jazz drummer, but in your recent years developing as a solo artist is super inspiring. So thank you for taking the time. I'm going to pick your brain about a bunch of stuff today, but let's start with, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, man. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? Is this your home studio? Is my home studio, yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. How are you doing is such a charged question. I know. Yeah. It's how are you doing today? How are you doing this morning? I'm, I'm doing good. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's, it's good to see you and good to talk to you. It's, it's been a while. Yeah. So did you build this studio as a result of the year being totally shut down or is this already happening? No, I, I'm lucky that I, this was already totally finished. Uh, I mean, I... Used to live in an apartment in New York, mm-hmm. uh, and I was never able to play there. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was doing a lot of sideman stuff, it was cool because I would just come home and be for a few days, and then leave again, and then come back and leave again. And I never really was, you know, missing playing or doing stuff because I was on the road most of the time. Yeah. But then when I started morphing my career into more of a band leading. Uh, proposition then i really had to start like writing music focusing at home uh having some decent gear and you know practicing and and recording too so as soon as we moved into this house like five over five years ago mm-hmm. the first thing we did was was the basement like soundproof it and and get it all hooked up and it was very stressful actually because i had this was after birdman Mm-hmm. And I had said yes to scoring this other movie, uh, but I had absolutely no gear. I had no studio. I had nothing, but I agreed to do it. <laughs> and my incentive was like, well, I have to do 
everything. I have to get the studio, uh, get the gear, learn how to use it, and then do this film score, which ended up working out. It was very stressful, very steep learning curve, but it was a great way to get it together in, a, in a, just a couple of months. What was that film? It was a, a Spanish documentary, uh, Spanish po uh, political Spanish documentary. Mm. It's it's a little obscure. It's about this uh, the the socialist movement that started happening in in Spain, and it was called Política Manual de Instrucciones, like politics uh, instruction manual, manual, basically. Cool. Is that on Netflix or anything? Where could we find it? Yeah, I think so. I think it's nice. in most platforms. So anyone listening, if you haven't seen Birdman, or, or if you have seen Birdman, that's Antonio improvising largely through the whole score, correct? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. What was the direction for that? Well, that was the direction from... Just from improvise? To the director, just, <laughs> you know, go, basically. So were you watching like a rough edit or a final edit? Not even that. In the in the beginning, it was just with the script. Like we talked about the script, and I nice. based on the script. And then later, when there was a rough cut, then I did most of the stuff to the rough cut, uh, as a second time. And the end result was a combination of the first and second sessions, basically. So, what about this other film? Was it similar concept? Yeah, I mean. Since then, I've done like that. I've done a few other ones. I did uh, Get Shorty, the TV series, mm. and and it all <clears throat> uh, happened obviously because of the people that saw Birdman loved it so much that they wanted that kind of vibe on their on their uh, productions. And uh, yeah, I mean the the process is I, I look at the scene closely a few times and then I just go a few times, mm. you know, and uh, because it's. I, I see it the same way as when I play with a band or or do a record with other people, you know, just do a few takes mm -hmm. and then uh, I, I start editing then afterwards and depending on uh, which take I like the best. And then I start mixing and matching and then sometimes I'll do a few extra drum tracks of just hits of important things of or, um, you know, um, just editing so that it matches really nicely what you're seeing. So that it's, but it's usually very fast. I'm, I've become really, really good and really fast at that because of, I've been doing it so much. So is it like a first instinct and go with it? Or, I mean, do you try different approaches each time? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So my f first approach is obviously the first take and then i look at it and then i'm like well maybe this could also be cool and then i do a completely different approach and then uh, i also send them to whoever is in charge of of music so that they can see what approach is the one that they like the most and then i start working on that one mm -hmm. specifically so i just did for example this thing that premieres tomorrow i think which is uh it's called um Vax Live. It's, it's going to be a huge concert that starts tomorrow at eight, uh, and on it's on YouTube, I think. And they're going to show this short. There's like two minutes, and then a two minute thirty version that's narrated by Oprah, and it's about how the vaccine came to be uh, to kind of try to help people that are a little wary and hesitant about getting vaccinated. Mm -hmm. to see where this all came from, how it happened. Uh, that it, it was not just a matter of months with no uh, research behind it, because a lot of people are, are skeptical about, oh well, how did they do this so quickly? You know. Yeah. So then they did this thing 
which explains very clearly in two minutes how it all came to be. And, uh, and you know, I, uh, they gave me the thing and I, 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 it took me like two or three days to, to get it done. And it's really cool to do that kind of stuff. I, I love it. I mean, 10 years ago, did you think you'd be doing this type of work? Was this always in the cards? <laughs> it seems like such a, a cool but unexpected. Birdman to begin with was like a, such a, uh, surprise! Uh, yeah, so many, so many ways. I, I never was looking to score anything. You know, I never thought you could score anything like that. But then, after that happened, obviously, I realized it was a very cool thing to do. And then a lot of people also realized, oh wow, drums kind of sound cool with uh, mm-hmm. with, with a lot of these uh, productions that are being done. So I've seen tons of copycats and uh-huh. tons of copycats all over the uh, all over the TV and and uh, TV series and movies and and stuff. You know, but I know I was the original one. That's right. There's a lot of commercials too i'm like dang they let someone just solo over this commercial <laughs> yeah so that brings me to your record from a few years ago bad ombre was that a similar process or was it that more composed how did you uh by the way when listening go check out antonio's solo record bad ombre it's some of the i mean i think it, it's like i think of jack dejanet pictures as being one of the greatest solo drum albums of all time and i put bad ombre side by side with that Hundred oh, percent. Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, after Birdman, I I kept thinking, what what can I do that will have drums be at the forefront, that be the protagonist, mm-hmm. but without necessarily you know like little songs at a bunch of drum solos. You know, I, I just don't don't like that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like uh, some of the material that drummers tend to play along to on drum clinics and that kind of stuff. I I just think you yeah. Know, like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I thought, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. But but now, you know, I, I just need more depth, you know, mm. in general. And the way that came to be was me sitting here in this studio and improvising a bunch, different vibes, different grooves. Sometimes I would have a click. Sometimes I had no click. Sometimes I would have a bass line that I came up with. Um, and then once I had a lot of material, I started editing the material editing the improvisations and then adding layers of electronics and, and then mm. making it into kind of a comp- composition but they're not tunes you know there's no melodies there's, there's just vibes you know and as a matter of fact i i i hadn't listened to it in a long time and uh I, my thing was on shuffle the other day and 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 uh, and, and it, it started playing and i was like wow this, this is really wacky <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of taking it back by, wow, man, I came up with this weird, this is so weird. Uh, but but it was uh, it was nice because it, it kept surprising me as I was listening to it, which which is hard to do, you know. Yeah. To me, that's uh, unpredictability. Uh, that's that's a really cool thing in music when you have no idea where this is gonna go. Yeah. Uh, that I, I like that. So yeah, that, that was the the process for for the record. Is there going to be any more solo drum records, or do you kind of exhaust it for now? Oh no 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 man I I have so many ideas to keep doing in that uh, to keep going in that vein uh so I was going to do another Bad Ombre which was going to be Bad Ombre volume 2 and uh but I you know every record I've done if anybody that has followed my my um discography it's pretty different you know I do like a I did three trios you know totally acoustic then I did mm-hmm. my band which was like you know the first tune was 30 minutes long it's like really really uh intense composition with strings and you know all these things uh 
And then after that, which was with my band Migration, mm-hmm. it was a very through-composed album, very, very intense. It, it took a long time to, to get done. And then we, when we played live, it was really intense too because the, the first tune would be like 35 minutes. And the last tune would be also, you know, it was like very epic. So I wanted to do something that was the complete opposite of, of that. So I was going to do another Bad Hombre too. But then I thought, okay, but why can I do different this time so that it's not like a, another version of that? And uh, I thought, you know, what would be really, really cool is to have singers, some of my favorite singers, provide me with a tune. And it could be an old tune, could be a new tune, could be a sketch, anything. Uh, something that was already released, something that hasn't been released. Uh, basically, Anything you want to give me, just the voice and something else if you want, or it could just be the voice just with a click. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I started asking different people, and uh, it was like a producer's dream because I had this amazing material from incredible singers, <laughs> and it was just so raw. And then what I told them is that I was just going to completely transform it. And the idea was going to be for the drums and the voice to be, you know, side by side, you know, on equal grounds. And I don't mean a bunch of drum solos either. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. record this, this record probably has like one drum solo, if at all. Um, So the idea was to build these songs in a completely different way that they were given to me. So some of the people I asked was um, Michelle and Deguicello gave me an amazing tune. Uh, Kimbra just gave me a a, a super cool tune. Trent Reznor gave me a a fantastic tune. And it's it's been really cool working on it for, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks. And then I send it to them and they're all all like, what? (laughs) What is this? You know, so uh, it, they're they're wacky, but but they I, I really I grew up on rock and roll, you know. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to make my version of of kind of like a wacky rock and roll electronica record could be like, and so this is going to be the the next thing. Wow, when does that do to come out? Uh, early next year. It's it's done basically. I, I have just a you know I'm just doing final mixes. I'm going to start mastering soon, but early next year. We were we were supposed to do it earlier, but because of the pandemic, it it made no sense to try to release it in the middle of all this this thing because we really want to hit the road and and do some gigs. You're going to do duo gigs with singers? No, no, no. So the way we're going to do it is uh, my wife, Tana, who is an amazing singer who mm-hmm. got nominated for, for a Grammy for her album, Ona, for Best Jazz Performance. Uh, she's going to be basically embodying all these different singers. Wow. And it's going to be basically half English-speaking singers and half Latin American singers. I have this incredible uh, hip-hop artist from Chile who raps and and it's like hip-hop and it's just so cool. And then another singer from... Two singers from Mexico, uh, Lila Downs was pretty famous and over there, and then Silvana Estrada, who's this incredible singer from Veracruz that does this thing with a cuatro. I mean, it's just really, really versatile and 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 varied. And Tana is gonna embody all of that on stage, basically. And then I'm gonna have a keyboard player and a and a bass player and a bunch of electronics and tracks and stuff. It's gonna it's gonna be my biggest production in a way in terms of uh, the. the the technology that we, we're going to be using mm-hmm. in life, so which is scary. I'm really, really scared, especially because 
we have no idea what's going to happen. You know, it's the pandemic still, yeah. still there, and uh, touring was hard and before, and we were a lot of times we were on the red or very close to the red. And now I cannot foresee it being any easier mm -hmm. <laughs> to be. So we'll see. Time will tell, but I really want to do this. Man, I can't wait to hear that. That's exciting. What's it? Do you have a title for it? A working title? Well, it's Bad Ombre Volume 2. Okay. And it's going to have something else in the title just to make it a little different from the other one. Beautiful. So that kind of would answer my next question, but I'm going to go and ask it. So how have you been keeping yourself creative and busy this past year with no touring? no gigs well that's been a great thing to do yeah. because it has given me a, a purpose and and also is very i'm i'm very into uh sonically satisfying music you mm -hmm. know i mean sometimes for me jazz is a little bit black and white when it comes to 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 color and mm -hmm. sound and when i start adding electronics and all this otherworldly uh sounds that that are available to us now all of a sudden i start you know seeing things in color or hearing things in color mm -hmm. so that has been very very satisfying uh to do because you know i have something to show for usually at the end of the day that i can listen to and i can uh, you know groove to instead of you know writing uh, for a band is very different because i sit on the piano for a lot of time for a long time try to figure out chords melodies and then i don't get to hear it for a long time until we record it And then we start playing it. Mm. So this is cool that I get to actually start hearing the results immediately as, as I'm doing it. And I'm playing all the instruments. I'm, I'm singing, too. Like, you know, Trent Reznor sent me this thing. And, and I was like, man, I would love to have some backup vocals here. But I'm not going to ask him again to, man, can you record some? So I, I'm just going to do it myself. And I started recording backup on, on most of the tracks. And... Uh, it, You know, it's been a ball. You know, all these instruments you see here that, you know, that's what I use. Yeah. I'm playing bass, guitar, all those little guitars back there. And and also I did a film score last year uh, for another movie called Harami, which is a, uh, an Indian-American production about a gang of um, pickpockets that operate in the main station of uh, Mumbai. Mm. And the, again, the guy called me because he loved Birdman and... The drums were really cool for the pickpocket scenes, but then there were other scenes that had absolutely uh, that absolutely needed something else than drums, and and it was great because I I got to play guitar and all all those those instruments and strings and and I did everything here, and that also kept me busy for like uh, six months last year. So that was really good too. That's cool, man. So. I think I could probably pick your sound out of a recording in, in five, ten seconds. But ironically, I don't think of you as gear, like like as, as the gear. I, I can hear you and I hear the sound, but I'm wondering, are you a gearhead? Do you collect drum gear or do you have a kit and, and use it? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm not a, a gearhead. You know, I um, get a little flustered with like the, the amount of possibilities. Mm -hmm. I usually like to have something and then just kind of work with that and, and make it work. And of course, you know, I've been playing Yamaha for, for a very long time mm -hmm. uh, because I, some of my favorite drummers always played Yamaha and that was the first reason why I wanted to play them. And then I started playing them and, you know, it's just um, it's such a versatile drum. You know, mm -hmm. that you can make sound a bunch of different ways. And it's great for me because I get to play 
<coughs> excuse me, I get to play straight ahead and, and rocky stuff and fusiony stuff and Latin stuff, and and I can all uh, it it all works for me, you know the the gear I have, and especially I, I have a uh, like the one I have here. I know you can see. Oh yeah, yep. So it's a Phoenix kit, and it just records incredibly well. You know, it has such production, uh, uh, sorry, projection. And uh, in terms of symbols, same thing. That ones that I got a, a nice set of of symbols that I thought they sounded really good together. Uh, then I kind of stuck to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have also. A, you know right right next to the kit because i have a closet with a bunch of symbols over here but then right next to the kit i have a stack of of symbols that are my go-to things depending for for what i want to do and this last record just like uh bad hombre i i just want a lot of different colors on, on the drums so what i'll do is i'll modify the drum the the drum sound as much as i can with plugins but also just with with the drums i'll put a t-shirt and then little symbol on top and then you know just put the mic in a different way and just try to uh uh do some research in terms of just sonics of, mm-hmm. of the drums and all that stuff uh it's always uh interesting to me and it, it also makes me play different which is always good too so i think if you're we're focusing on the snare drum now since that's the topic for the for the show. I think of your snare sound as being very articulate but also very thick sounding. Um, two questions. What is your all-time favorite snare sound by anyone? And then how do you get that sound out of your snare? Let's see. One of my favorite rock sounds, or a few of my favorite rock sounds are Story Copeland sound. Mm-hmm. I, I love that snare sound so tight and and just you know aggressive in, in mm-hmm. all the, the right ways. Uh, John Bonham's snare I really like, which is very different from from Story Copeland's. Um, uh, Steve Jordan's, of course, you know, mm-hmm. sounds amazing. Uh, and Orcs Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instrument, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. The way I see a drum, uh, a snare drum is, you know, obviously it's, it's you know, one of the most important parts of, of the drums, drum kit sound. Uh, but I don't, I don't like to be married to a specific sound. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I prefer to have the stylistic approach dictate what the, the sound of the snare drum is going to be. So if I'm playing a certain kind of music, then my snare's my snare drum sound would will vary a little bit depending on what it is that I'm doing. But lately, I I like it when it's on the dry side. I don't like too much ringing mm-hmm. on it. Uh, I tend to put a bunch of little pieces of uh, of gaffer tape 
around mm. it instead of moon gels. That's what I do. And then uh, Yamaha made me this really cool snare drum. This kind of like a Phoenix snare drum that has a, um, a damper. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, most drums don't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really wanted to get it so that I could just, you know, move a little knob and get different types of, of uh, muffling. Mm-hmm. So that has been really nice. Uh, and I've been using that snare drum for a long time. And then I started using this aluminum, just thicker uh, Yamaha snare drum that has really, really nice crack. And and I started recording with it yesterday, actually, and and. You know, I was like, wow, this, this is really cool for, for other kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've been doing a lot on this recording, the Bad Ombre 2, is recording parallel drum sets. So in, in, a, in a tune, I'll have you know, the, the main drum set doing a certain thing, and then at some point, both drum sets come in together, one on the left, one on the right. And, and I'll switch to two different snare drums so that you can hear the difference on both sides. And mm. it just sounds massive, you know. And, and that's one thing that, uh, for example, vocalists, you know, when they're doing a record, they do the main vocal and then they they do tons of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Or a keyboardist or a guitar player, they do tons of parts. Uh, horns, same thing. Drums usually do the one part. Yeah. And maybe you'll do little things on top. Well, here I'm, uh, you know, on this record, I, I said, well, but why? You know, I, I want to have as many different types of drum set sounds in the same tune. Uh, so in one section, I'll have you know this specific uh, sound, and then on the next section, I'll completely tr- change to another sound, and then start stacking other drum sets on top. One really compressed to the left, one really wacky sounding to the right, but kind of far away. And I've n- realized that I can get away with a lot of of different drum sets at the same time playing different things that they all, you know, they, they sound really good together and makes it sound incredibly thick. Then mm-hmm. I'll do like a, a track of just like really fast, like kind of a drum bass thing, but really soft in the background as a, mm. just as a bed. And then the other stuff kind of sits on top of that. So it's, it's been really interesting to, to use that uh, resource for uh, for a record you know i i always thought of the drums like you do your drum pass and and that's it yeah and now i'm realizing man it's just so unfair <laughs> and we don't get to do that stuff more and and uh, part of it is having the luxury of having my own studio i i can do all those things because i'm not against the clock obviously and and another thing that i've been using a lot is the yamaha ead Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the stereo mic that goes on the bass drum. So I can record multiple stereo tracks of just one drum set with one sound and then another track with a completely different sound. And then I start mixing and matching and muting one and playing the other. And it takes forever just to... Uh, to 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 uh, experiment with these things because sometimes you do it for a long time and it sounds like crap and then some of them yeah. are like oh yeah that's that's it and <laughs> start going in that direction so it's a lot of research but but it's been totally worth it that's awesome so yeah that, I guess that that answers that question like how do you handle the mix of all that but if you're just doing a stereo it's you're just treating it like a almost like a loop right you're treating like as if you're getting a sample from a record. You can't really do much in some in some. Well, it, the thing is, it it's really 
captures a lot. So um, I know which sounds capture the the best instruments within the drum set. So mm-hmm. I'll play something that the mic really really captures well. If mm-hmm. I play like the really far away tom, maybe it, it doesn't sound so good because it's kind of far. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll, I'll try to adapt to whatever the mic does best. But sometimes I'll have like I don't know seven in this new track I'm doing is like. Uh, eight different tracks of EAD uh, panned different ways with different levels of compression and mm-hmm. echo and all this these things so that you can really hear the distinction between all the sounds. And then going back to the snare drum thing, uh, I, I've been playing three snare drums for for quite a few years now. Mm-hmm. I have the main snare drum, then I usually have a piccolo or a soprano. Uh, right next to the hi-hat, and then a really, really deep one. I have one called a loud Yamaha snare, which mm-hmm. is, I think, six and a half or something like that, uh, and tuned really, really low. So I have the main one, really high one, and then a really low one. And then lately, I got the Yamaha hip hip gig, mm-hmm. uh, which is really cool. Uh, I, I removed the drums at the, the, the bass drum yesterday, but it's uh, like a 10-inch deep uh, bass drum but it's 20 inch and it sounds incredible and i've been recording a lot with that one and it also have a has a, a, a floor tom basically that has snares and then you can turn oh, into cool. yeah. snare drum so so at one point I'll, I'll have four snare drums uh my main one two on the left and then one on the right and then the melodies you can start coming up with with that are really 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 cool the combination of uh, of snares and it's the same thing we tend to think oh well one one snare mm-hmm. is enough then people started adding another one and and now man if i could have six snare drums when i'm playing that that would be awesome because <laughs> they all do a different thing yeah, live sound engineer's nightmare. Having <laughs> six rattling snare drums. <laughs> exactly. So means that I would too. So let's talk about the main drum. Like if you were showing up to a say a, a fly date of a festival and you've got to just hop on a kit and you've got ten minutes to get it close to what is comfortable, what would you do to that snare drum? Well, um, usually kind of crank it a little bit. Yeah. Not too much. Uh, the the strainer I like it. Not super tight, not super loose, but also like a sweet spot. And then I'll have my always um, faithful gaffer's tape and mm. put like a little half, kind of like a half moon of of uh, little bits. And especially on where I whack the snare so that it's dry right at that point where I do the 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 rim shot. Okay, that's kind of different. Usually it's away from the, the rim shot spot. Yeah, no, I, I put it usually on on the on this hand, mm-hmm. the the half um, moon of little little uh, gaff tapes uh, tapes, um, just snippets. Sweet. All right. So, what was your first snare drum? Let's get to the the matter at hand. Do you remember your first snare drum? Yeah, it was a brand called Majestic. Okay. Did, did you hear? I mean, that's a Mapex owned or KHS, I think currently but i don't know <laughs> but but the thing is back then I, I was living in mexico and i was a kid and there were very few options of what you could get uh so my mom i think she got me the cheapest thing she could find and i was at the point where 
I really, really wanted to play the drums, but my mom was, of course, very skeptical that a five-year-old had already decided what he was going to do for the rest of his life. Yeah. So she said, well, maybe I'll just you know, give him the cheapest thing I can find and he'll play it for a little bit and then he'll get over it and that's it. I didn't spend a fortune on, on a really nice drum set or something. But back then there were no kitty drum sets. Mm -hmm. um, so you had to kind of buy the real thing. And she got me that. Then she got me a hi-hat. She got me uh, a set of timbales. Like, you know, she had no idea what, what to get, me, but she, she could not get me the full drum set. So she started getting me like this odd pieces. Oh, yeah. And then I started using the the lowest timbal, like if it was a, a, a bass drum. So I put a t-shirt on top of it and tune it really low. And then I had my snare drum. So like, so all with my hands because I had no bass drum. And then I kept begging my mom for a bass drum, you know, and, um, but they were incredibly expensive back then in Mexico. Mm. Everything was imported and, and there was no trade agreement with the state. So it, it was just uh, incredibly un unaffordable. And she had, you know, she didn't have the, the, the best paying gig back then, but you know, to her credit, she saved for her for a few months and then finally got me a, a Tama swing star and that had its own snare drum. Mm -hmm. So then that become my, became my main, my main snare drum for, for, for a while. And then I already had the majestic one. So then I started setting that to the side. So okay. I, I had been doing that for, you know, since I was before I was 10, I was already doing that. <laughs> yeah, man, the swing star was everywhere. So this must've been early nineties. You're talking no, 80s. 80s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I was already into the police, and um, they were just starting to get famous, so that was, that was the beginning of the 80s. Mm, okay. Yeah. So what was the first snare drum that you that you remember buying, like, because you needed a snare drum? Like The first one, because I was I felt like I was already covered, because mm -hmm. I loved my, my swing star, so I went on vacation with my grandparents i think somewhere i think it was here we, we came to new york when i was a kid and we went to manny's and uh and i was just you know floored by the amount of gear they had I'd never seen anything like that you know because in mexico you you if you went to um to a music store they would have you know a couple of little things and and that's what you you could get but i realized the amount of just madness in this country that <laughs> the possibilities and i'm like what and they told me you can get something you can get one thing i was like oh. and, and back then weckel uh i was already i think checking out weckel and and he had a, a piccolo he was playing with a piccolo yeah and I was like, man, I, I want a piccolo. And it was a, a, I don't even remember the brand. I don't even know if it had a brand. I was a Remo. It was a Remo. Yes. It was a Remo piccolo, uh, very small, and it was golden. So I was like, man, man they're like, it was so, so cool. <laughs> and then I came back to Mexico. And, and, and then I also bought this trainer. Uh, I can remember it was a company, something tech, that used to make this trainer that was really kind of bulky and yeah. really. Rhythm really, tech. Was that? a rhythm, rhythm tech? tech i think it was a rhythm tech yeah i remember that the snare sounds so loud <laughs> I, I remember this annoying everyone at home with my with my piccolo snare yeah i think dennis chambers made that famous if i if i recall <laughs> exactly <laughs> I, think, oh, oh, I got it probably nice do you have any of your old gear or is it all 
gone away over the years? I, I have it all, but it's all in Mexico. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I have still my little drum room over there and, and uh, I, I have my first ever drum set just packed over there. Wow. You got the swing star? I got the swing star, yeah. And then well, I, I, it was funny because I had the swing star, which was like kind of baby blue. Uh-huh. And then uh, I really got into Rush, so I wanted my double bass drum and, you know, all the paraphernalia. So I bought another kit called uh, Power Beat, uh, which was a very, very, very cheap uh, a kit that, you know, I found, but it was the same color. Mm. So then I got it, I put them <laughs> together, and, and it was unplayable. This was the most uncomfortable thing <laughs> I ever tried to play, but I was just so happy with my legs, like this far apart, because of my, the hi-hat it was so far away, you know, but it didn't matter. You know, I just had to, had to do it, and I had four Rada Toms. Oh, man. Over here, and I had triangles and a little glockenspiel. Like I was paired, <laughs> Neil paired all the way at, at that point. And of course, this this kid also came with a snare drum. So I had like I don't know how many snare drums I had at this point, uh, but it was never enough. That's for sure. <laughs> and they were probably all steel, <laughs> except for that brass. <laughs> no wooden as you know, until way later, I guess. Yeah. Well, that brings me to the final question. So this whole season, I'm going to be experimenting with things to do with this drum right here. This is a gig percussion made in Japan. I guess it was a Pearl, you know, in, in, uh, stencil brand. All original parts. So it's rusty. I think it was rescued from a dumpster. I got it for 30 bucks. Original throw off. It works, but I wouldn't trust it more than an hour. Uh, tension rods are splaying out. I did replace the heads, but if I had sent you this drum right now and said, you've got to get this thing ready to go on tour, <laughs> what would you do to it? I'll probably go, give it to somebody that really knows what they're doing <laughs> <laughs> and tell them just when I need it back by. Yeah. I've, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess obviously the, the snare the, is the most important part. The throw off. Yeah. This thing. Yeah. And the uh, and the strainer underneath. Once you get that going and a decent pair of heads, um, you know if if everything else is working right, you should be able to get a decent sound out of uh, pretty much any snare that which you know that has good mechanicals mm -hmm. working. I think. Well, we'll see what happens. I'm going to be tearing it apart and trying everything. So that's all I got for you. Thank you so much for joining in. So. Everyone, um, well, what's coming up? We got any new new projects that we should be preparing people for? I mean, you, you've talked about Bad Ombre 2 and a few other things, but... Yeah, well, one one record that I came up with uh, in the middle of the pandemic, we put it out, uh, I think, around uh, October last year. It's a, uh, a record called Trio Grande, mm. which uh, is a really, really cool... I mean, it's, it's jazz, it's just a trio. But the cool thing about this project is that it's with uh, Will Vincent on saxophone, and he also plays Rhodes, and Gilad Hexelman on guitar, but there's no bass. So he plays bass in his guitar. Like He, he has this pedal that makes, I think, the, the lower two strings an octave lower. Mm -hmm. uh, so because there's no bass and he has to do all these things, it, it changes the whole equation like radically on how everybody plays because you are not 
sure all the time the base that base note is going to be there so mm-hmm. sometimes it's there sometimes it's not and that keeps everybody kind of on their toes but i i i really really like the way it came out the sound uh, of the record is really really good and uh we all contributed like two three tunes uh and it has gotten really, really nice reviews so far, and a bun- it's gotten into a bunch of playlists because it, it sounds good and the and the compositions are are nice. So, uh, if you guys want to check something that I've been doing lately, that's that's the one. Trio Tri- Grande. Trio Grande. I was just listening to that this morning. It is beautiful. I think it represents everything that you do, kind of all in one record. The sounds are great. There's there's some open moments. There's some uh, great interplay. So yeah, that's a amazing record. So everyone, check out. All of Antonio's work. Um, Bad Ombre is my personal favorite. I can't wait for part two. But also, we didn't even talk about the years of work you've done with Pat Metheny Group. So, um, yeah, thanks for uh, joining the show, Antonio. And I'll see you hopefully in person once we get out of these uh, lockdown quarters. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it seems like there's a little bit of a, a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. I hope uh, people that are a little hesitant to get vaccinated, they'll do a little bit of research and realize that. You know, it's it's you know, people used to get vaccinated for all kinds of stuff before. That's right. You know, uh, polio is a good example. You know, if they wouldn't have, if if most people would have decided not to, or a, a good amount of people would have decided not to get vaccinated for that, maybe polio would still be here. You know, mm-hmm. so it's. Uh, I I hope people can do it for everybody's sake. All right. Thanks, Antonio. Thank you, Mike. Good to see you, man. All right, this week for the Gig Percussion Snare Upgrade, we are using Mark Julian's suggestions to put a Coded Ambassador on top. So I swapped out the Evans UV-1, and we're going with the remote Coded Ambassador. I did put a new throw-off on it. Finally, I drilled. I had to drill one hole, so I was able to use the bottom hole that exists in the shell, and I had to drill one more hole at the top to make it fit. Word to the wise, measure several times before you drill. I was a little cavalier, and my hole was just slightly too far apart i had to widen the top one just a little bit more but it's on there it fits great i swapped out the 42 strand wires that we had on there last week because the shell has no snare beds and those wires weren't seating quite well against the head so i went back to the 20 strands so what we're going to do is we're going to ab we're going to do um, the remo ambassador and then we're going to go back and review the uv1 exact same tuning i'm going to try to be as accurate as possible so we'll do ambassador at one tuning uv1 is another same tuning and i'll go up same thing and then low same thing so we'll do like a medium high and a low let's see what it sounds like
All right, that's it for this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Um, if you have any questions or requests, please email me at mike at drumfactordirect.com. Also, if you're enjoying the show and you don't mind, hop over to iTunes or wherever you get this podcast, drop a rating and a review. That helps spread the word. And please share this with your friends. Um, the more drummers we can get involved, the better. So until next week, have a good one, and I'll see you then. Thank <laughs> you.